I've been asked by a lot of people about the outcome of this election since it happened. I can't tell you how many times my cousin FaceTimed me on election night, frantically asking me just how this was happening, and is Donald Trump actually going to win? I, like many, told her no, he's not going to win. The polls have shown Hillary Clinton coasting to an easy victory. And I, like many, was wrong. Donald Trump will be the 45th president of the United States. Now, I opened up my Facebook the morning after to find post after post from Democrats and liberals basically writing dissertations and essays about how sad, angry, and upset they were. And believe me, they have every right to feel this way. Their candidate lost, their vision for America lost, and their idea of how to achieve prosperity and opportunity lost. But I also saw hatred. I felt condemnation. And I heard sounds of further division. And that, my friends, will only drive us further into the ground. Now, me being the opinionated political junkie that I am, I'm usually the first one to jump on Facebook and express my views on a certain candidate, policy, or political event. I didn't this time. Maybe it was because I didn't know what to say or how to form it into words. Maybe I didn't know how I felt and didn't want to express a half-hearted opinion on social media. But what I do know now, and did know at that point in time, was that this long and contentious presidential election was over. Now, I'm a Democrat. Some may even call a liberal. I voted for Hillary Clinton. I genuinely felt that she would make a great president. And I wholeheartedly believed that Donald Trump was not fit to be elected president, and I still think he is not fit to be president. But I, like almost half of the country, didn't win. I didn't see the outcome I was hoping for. I lost. That happens in politics. Candidates lose elections. But, surprising to most, this election didn't make me want to cry, it doesn't make me want to question the legitimacy of the outcome, and it doesn't make me want to yell and scream at every Trump supporter I know, my father and brother being two of them. It makes me want to understand, to debate, to discuss, and to move forward. We spoke on the last episode of this podcast about empathy. Empathy in politics. This is where that message rings true. For the next four years, we have to debate, we have to discuss, and we have to work together as one nation. As many have said in the past, both about America and the world, there is far more that unites us than divides us. Now, I know what most of you out there must be thinking. How can a straight, white, middle-class man tell us it's all going to be okay? My answer to that is, I don't know, and that's okay. I do understand the fear of many Americans at the soon-to-be Trump presidency. I understand that I'm not a Muslim. I understand that I'm not Hispanic. I understand I'm not black. I understand that I'm not a woman. And I understand that I'm not a member of the LGBT community. The fear of those groups is real. It's palpable. And I hope that just as I will commit to understanding the feelings and the sentiment that led many to cast their votes for Donald Trump, the Trump White House and the people who voted for him will understand the fears and the anxieties of the people who didn't vote for him. That is how we move forward. That is how we continue to fight for what we believe in. And that is what makes America great. And with that, I bring in my colleague, my esteemed colleague, Alex Garofalo. Thanks, Nick. Well said. And uh, welcome to episode two of Isle Sides, everybody. As was said, I'm Alex Garofalo. This is Nick Cardona. And, you know, I, I think we both feel that, that our, you know, it's a brand new podcast venture we've launched. And I think both of us thought that our the script was kind of rewritten for us. You know, we posted the, our first episode election day morning. 
and I think I think we both thought we'd be we'd be. I, I think we'd be talking about something else yeah. for an episode two. Yeah. I don't think we'd be talking about the prospects of a Trump presidency. But right. but as 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 you touched on, I think that what we've seen in the conversations we've seen and the outrage on both sides that we've seen and the celebrations on on one side that we've seen, you know, make it clear that now more than ever is is that do we do we need that empathy? Do we need that ability to kind of see the other side? Because I think that. I think that we have a tendency to think of elections as cementing who we are or, or carving out these lines about who we are. But really all they do is reveal who we are. They reveal kind of where everybody stands at the moment. And we mentioned many times last week that it's really vital that people rewire their brains to start seeing elections as as aggregate things, as, as to see voting as an aggregate process where every election either builds or, or reverses the course of a previous election. And it's about the momentum. And we're at a time now where it is not going to be 100% smooth, this, this, the dealing between Trump and the, the, the Republican establishment. The Republicans have won, the Republicans have control, but the fault lines have already revealed themselves in many ways. You know, especially when McCain came out most recently, the first thing that jumps to mind and says, you know, he's talking about bringing back torture or enhanced interrogation as a, as a, as a way to get information out of terrorist suspects. We don't torture. So, I mean, you already have these, these things. He is such an unorthodox candidate, was an unorthodox candidate, now an unorthodox president-elect, will be an unorthodox president without question. I think it's become clear that this new Trump is never going to come. At least in temperament, we don't. We still don't really. I would say still don't really know clear cut what his policy priorities are. To, to at least right. not to the the detail we usually do. So you have the split in the Republican Party. You simultaneously have the split in the Democratic Party that they're still wrestling with, which is this the the push to the pro, the progressives. I think I think Bernie Sanders, in particularly, if you watch his speeches, if you watch his interviews, has made it clear that he sees the Democrats' loss here as a validation that the progressive the progressive platform was the message that would have resonated with voters that should have res- that should have been there for voters from the left and is the message of the future you meanwhile you saw clinton say this is all comey's fault essentially i mean she kind of implied that she was kind of cheated out of the election by 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 that scandal and the way the media covered it and that kind of unorthodox letter and the timing of that well even cory lewandowski who was a famously kind of a, a very controversial Trump campaign manager even said that Jim Comey's letter yeah. did make a difference and it made a difference in Trump's favor. So no. that's, you know, both Republicans and Democrats yeah, yeah, agreeing yeah. on that. So that's, yeah. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think that it is, I think it is both reductive to say everything that the Democrats stood for in this election was the wrong message. And I, I think there's a lot of ways in which just both flaws in Hillary Clinton's Hillary Clinton as a candidate and in her campaign, you know, when you look at the margin of error, I mean, like she, obviously we know she won the popular vote. She won the popular vote by a resounding margin. Numbers it's, are still it's, coming it's in, still, too. Yeah. It's still climbing to near 2 million. Right. I think it was 1.7 the last time I saw. So, you know, you're you're right there. You're right on the edge of what is essential, you know, what is, which is, what essentially would have been a Clinton presidency. So... I, I think that the tendency to throw away the whole the whole party, the whole platform is is a little bit rash. I also think that to not recognize the failing of the message to connect with the working class, and also you like I mean, the Trump did better amongst most minority groups than than Romney did, right? And and so if you you can't chalk this all up to 
to one to one single element, be it race, be it Clinton, be it, be it there is a lot of things in play. And so again, we have it's a lot of information. Everyone kind of says where they're. Not enough people, because apparently 50% of the country didn't listen. 49% or whatever it was, I forget the exact number, didn't listen to our first podcast episode and, <laughs> and didn't go vote. But a a large amount of the country shows you where they stand. And right. you, you know who you have to talk to, and you have you have a better idea about what you have to say to them. And now the conversation begins for the next election. No one wants right. to think about an election right now. But the fact remains, that's what, that's what this is about. This is about where do we go from here it isn't. It isn't all over. All is not lost. All is not won. Right. No matter, you know, whatever side you're coming from, there's a long. There's a long battle ahead. I, I think. I think what's important to realize is that every single time we have an election, every four years, not every two years, but every four years, every whatever party loses usually has that you know post mortem. Right. The Republicans had it in 2012 when they when they said, uh, okay, we have to do something about immigration. We have to form a bipartisan commission. They did that, and then obviously kind of threw that away, right? Rubio didn't get anywhere in the primaries. <laughs> Nobody got anywhere who was a part of that plan, right? So every major... Yet they, got a, yet they pulled a bigger share of Hispanic voters. Right. And, and that's, which goes I, to show you the complexity of, of what's happening. Right. And I, think, and I think a lot of these... And like you said, information is coming from everywhere. They're coming from all of these vo- blocks of people and commentators. So it's, I think it gets lost in the shuffle about... I don't think there's anything one... Like a one particular thing where you can blame something. You can't blame Jim Comey. You can't blame Hillary Clinton. But you can take little pieces of information from everywhere and say, put it all together in a, in a postmortem, and that's what the Democrats need to do. They need to look at the model of Wisconsin and Michigan, two states that Bernie Sanders won in the primaries. They need to look at the fact that Hillary Clinton did, make, did not make one campaign stop in Wisconsin during the general election. That is something that, that strategically needs to be looked at. But then also, Jim Comey, was he politicizing the FBI? There are so many different little things that happened in that short period of time because the primaries lasted forever and then the general lasted it seemed like two seconds <laughs> so that's the thing is that there's so many different things and like you said so much so many so much more information coming in uh as people start looking at these post-mortem things for the democrats and even the republicans too the establishment republicans that got beat really and that they were totally anti-trump and they got beat and trump's now he's standing tall and proud well i'm reminded that i read a lot of think pieces months ago about the death of the Republican Party mm. that as a as a little extra coda at the end said and the Democrats better recognize that if they too do not learn to do not recognize the the growing gap between their message and what working class Americans of all colors and creeds are 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 feeling and what they're responding to then the Democrats will face a similar kind of self-destruction right well it, it, it arrived. It did. And, it, and yeah. while the Democrats have a lot of soul-searching to do in the wake of losing, like you said, these states that she didn't even visit because they took for granted so much, Wisconsin, Michigan, while, while that all needs to happen on the left, it would be a mistake for the right to not recognize that Trump is, whatever you think of Trump, whether you think Trump is the savior of America or not, Trump is is a lone wolf of a politician in a bubble who is not repre- who has not does not has never expressed an interest in shepherding any sort of party. 
No. He is he is you know essentially, and you can you can view this again. You can, this is something you can view positively or negatively, and I think both are f- fair and justified. He hijacked a party with his own agenda and ideas about what he wanted to do. Some can and argue he kind of created his own party, the Trump party. And really. and eventually he will be eventually he will be the outgoing president, whether that's one term or two. And the and the Republican Party is going to have to pick up the pieces afterwards and figure out what elements of him are do they internalize, what elements do they do they not accept and where they are. And I think that there is this sense because you can't help but get excited when you win the House and the Senate and you you're, you're, have the ability to shape to shift the court to the right for the foreseeable future. You can't help but get excited and, and you see that the reaction from even a lot of never-Trump kind of Republicans coming, coming to Jesus and going, all right, well, there's a lot we can do here. Well, you have Mitt Romney who gave, dedicated an entire speech to bashing Trump, and he is a never-Trump person. He just met with with Trump this weekend, Mm -hmm. uh, this past, uh, the the 19th, and and he, of November, and he is being looked at for Secretary of State. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that I don't, I don't thought as much because you know you would like to see in, in in our in our political fantasies we always have these 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 visions of a contrarian cabinet and a, and, a, and you know the whole kind of Lincoln esque someone that's going to challenge your ideas and think differently right. than you. What what but is? What did is, you ever expect Trump somebody like Trump to do that? No, and I don't expect right? him to do that. Yeah. Honestly, did you see the SNL skit over the weekend where they, oh, they shook hands for five minutes and yeah. then goes, "This isn't going to work." This is is it? <laughs> And, uh, and I kind of expect something like that to play out in reality, even if, even if just behind the scenes. But even you know, like a Lindsey Graham, who could not have been more outspoken from the, from way back in the primaries about how this was an unacceptable step for the Republicans to take, has kind of made quotes to the extent of you know I'm I'm trying to focus on policy and what we as a party with all this control can do. And I mean, that's natural and that's fine. But uh, these this kind of turning point in, in American politics we're all experiencing applies to both sides and, and if they kick that can down the road they'll, they'll, they'll be faced with this as well so so where do you want I mean do you want to start do you want to start examining the right and how the Republicans should should kind of go go move forward or do you want to start with the left where do you want what to go what I want first? to do I want to go I want to, I want to start I want to go with both sides and start with the right and start with the left and, and talk about where not not any one candidate although I, I do want to get into some of Trump's plans and, and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, where these parties are, and parties not in the establishment sense, but just in the, where, where, the, where the right is ideologically, philosophically in this country. Where, and and what, do, what do Trump supporters owe this country now? What, where do they go now? Where, what, what is responsible for them as citizens to do, you know, thinking civically, what they owe the country now? And then I want to talk about where the left is and what people on the left owe their country if they do feel that Trump is unacceptable, if they do want to fight these proposals that they're afraid are going to become a reality, what their obligation is as citizens to, to contribute to that effort, to, to check him, to, to mitigate the, the undoing of Obama's legacy as it's, as it's kind of being framed. I think I, think I just I want, I want to have a bipartisan postmortem. Yeah, I think, I think that's what the country needs. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, you know, starting with the right, uh, if we want to go with with what I saw, interesting articles, kind of both what what do Trump voters have to do, like what you just said, what do Trump supporters have to do going forward, but also what does Trump have to do to answer to those mm-hmm. voters? Mm-hmm. Because I was talking a lot this weekend with with my brother, who's very uh, politically engaged and he's mm-hmm. and he's more right leaning, a conservative. Um, he 
did not support uh, one of my brothers did support Donald Trump the other one did not uh, and and they're both conservatives um, and my father did and you know I wanted to kind of get his input about you know what what did they what did the what does Trump have to do to make good on his promises because honestly if they don't get what they want if they don't get their wall if they don't get their Muslim ban, they are really going to they're going to respond by not coming out in 4 years to vote for him and that's where trump that's therein lies the trump problem you have to answer to your supporters that you promised all of these things to but then you also as as supporters have to say okay what do i have to do going forward to to either get my ideas out there on the table or like am i just going to wait another 4 years for another general election mm-hmm. i think that's going to be the the big question for both trump and president elect trump now and his his supporters. Well, I think it's a fool's errand to try to speculate about what Trump will do and what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think at that point is absolutely true that although you know I will, I mean I, I what you're getting at is I think what I want to talk about. But in terms of talking about the voters, not in terms about Trump, because right. because I want to let's talk about what Trump has promised specifically. What we think we as left leaning people, what we think is the, is the good that could possibly come out of Trump. Is I mean, there any? Is there any in your mind? I, I, I honestly, well, you know, I think President Obama said it the best. You know, is that when people are a lot of people are rooting for his failure, mm-hmm. but necessarily, I, I don't necessarily want to root for his failure. I, I want to, I want because if Trump doesn't do well, then that means the country doesn't do well. It de- but it depends on how you define well. Well, well, as in uh, what you is know, success? If success is a prosperous and, and safe country, then sure. But if you. If, I mean, you can't root for a Muslim ban to succeed, no. and then and and then just get behind that no, as a because, patriotic American. Because that is that is anti to what I what I believe right. and what I think is right. But economically, when you're looking at if he is able to get a grasp of the economy and how and how it works, and even foreign policy how it works, throwing out the torture argument, throwing out you know his really non plans about how he's going to deal with ISIS, except he's going to you know knock the hell out of him and bomb the hell out of him. Mm-hmm. That's not really a plan. Um, but if he can actually tackle the economy, which is obviously extremely complex and hard to understand, if he can truly understand what the challenges that 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 his supporters and Democrats and liberals are facing, and if he can do that and and be successful in that sense, then then that's one thing, one area where I can say, okay, there you go, right? Yeah. Well, here's a th- when you talk about the economy, the, the the predicament he's in there is that the economy has been slowly, admittedly, but for a while now, consistently improving, by every metric. The unemployment rate is above is below what Romney promised he would do if if he was elected in 2012. Mm-hmm. You know the stock market only went up through the last you know six years of the Obama administration. Incomes finally trended up in the past year for the first time in a long time. So a lot of the a lot of the gloom and doom talk about that Trump did about the economy is is inaccurate. Now, this is the caveat I'll add to it because it's it's one I think that the left misses is that it is possible for the economy at large, the aggregate economy of the United States, a large and diverse nation to trend up while certain areas remain destitute and hopeless. And right. I, those areas without a doubt are the ones are the rust belt or as the Midwest is the south that we saw lash out in the form of voting and and give Trump the presidency. And if you notice, that's where he held a lot of his rallies. 
So, so I think that's that's right, an important thing. Right, to note as and well. and the things he has promised to do, among among others, are rework America's trade deals, including ditching the TPP and and potentially renegotiating things like NAFTA. You know, impose this kind of tariff potentially or some sort of penalty to force U.S. businesses to bring jobs back revamp the coal industry and reinvest in coal well i mean I, I think a lot of that just stems i think his main message his just to give it a broad sense was we're going to bring back your jobs and and whether that be from mexico whether that be from china that that was his that was his message now obviously he didn't necessarily go into detail about what was happening yeah. and i don't think that the trump really the trump supporters cared about that because it was a campaign and that's what that's what you do when you campaign you talk yeah. broad you talk big picture right um, now that's a, that's a discussion for a whole other level. How that's kind of mm-hmm. you know not what we want to do. We want to talk about policy and encourage talk about policy. But I think that's uh, that, what you just said about all of Trump's plans with with uh, you know renegotiating trade, which is again I'll point out kind of straight out of Bernie Sanders textbook. That's why I think a lot of that message resonated with voters in Wisconsin and Michigan and some in Pennsylvania as well because that's that's where Bernie did really well is because that's where they agreed they agreed on trade mm-hmm. um, obviously they had a little bit different rhetoric to go along with it but I think I think for the most part what you said right there those are his main economic messages with the broad umbrella of bring back jobs that are being stolen if you will by Mexico China and other countries so I think that's basically what you got at is, is correct. Well, and, and that brings me to the kind of the first obligation Trump supporters have, which I think is to be honest about his ability to make good on that promise, hold him accountable for that, and he and, and there and there to be political consequences were he to not achieve it. It would be hypocritical and unacceptable for anyone that voted for Trump to basically allow him to sit on the overall economy's trend line and and essentially take credit for something that Obama did. You know, and in, in he, he, he acted like the unemployment, he, he said many times that the unemployment number is, much, we know it's much higher than, it, you know, he, he called into question the integrity of the, uh, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. Uh, Which is a nonpartisan. Not, yeah, non, I mean, it's just, it's the data that we've judged everything by for more than a century. Yeah. I kind of had a problem with him calling into question the integrity of that. But I think if you, if you give him the benefit of the doubt, the subtext of that is, Okay, unemployment might be five percent now, down to five percent now, but it's—I know it's not five percent here. Or you have a job, but it's some service job that's paying you garbage, right? And right. and you—that's not enough for you, and, and that's not a good-paying job. That I totally understand. But then you can't have, but 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 I mean, the, the fact is that that is an accurate number, and now Trump is going to be responsible for those numbers, and when they're positive, he's going to. He's not going. He's suddenly not. I, I assume he is suddenly not going to act like they're fantasy numbers. Suddenly, the unemployment number is going to be a legit metric, just like usually when 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 there's a metric or a poll of any kind that is right. in Trump's favor. Suddenly, it's it becomes very legitimate, <laughs> and he thanks them on Twitter for for posting it. So, and that's great. I mean, if he if he if he does not screw up that number, that would that's that's great. I yeah. mean, I, I don't I don't want him to, even though it, it will be it will, I will I will personally roll my eyes a bit if he largely rides the coattails of what Obama did to achieve that. Right. But a certain amount of self-awareness and honesty is required of people that supported him about if he's actually affecting the economy where he promised to. It is going to be very difficult to bring manufacturing jobs back to these places. For one, the economy in the, across the world is moving away from manufacturing. 
and you know more and more automation and, ro- and, and like robotics technology is taking over factories and it's relegating manufacturing to kind of like a second class citizen job even if manufacturing jobs come back they're kind of they would come back at some standard that is now set by people making a dollar an hour in asia that that is that is no longer the job that you are able to support a family of four on in the 60s Manu- manufacturing is never going to be that Right. So and that's truly the free market that Republicans love to right. Love that to is the, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, all and and that's fine. I think that that's part of the populist appeal. I think part of the populist way that's hit both parties, but especially the Republicans because they're always so touting, a, you know, un, a totally unregulated, unregulated free market. Right. A part of the populist wave is kind of a critique on on traditional conservative yes. economics. That's right. And yeah. so that's not necessarily hip- hypocrisy. But the fact is, he doesn't have a lot of weapons at his disposal to bring those jobs back without doing a lot of things that you, let's be honest, you would have called Obama a tyrant for for doing if he just started imposing, you know, we, we talk about having to give employees health care like that's a dictatorship under Obamacare. And Obamacare is a flawed program. I'm not trying to have an Obamacare debate right now, but the point is imposing giant tariffs on companies. Yeah, you're, it's in the interest of bringing jobs back to the average American worker, but it's a precedent that theoretically you're supposed to be against. If you're if you, if you've been railing against Obama's, the way Obama has gone after what he perceives as companies, specifically insurance companies, taking advantage of the everyman, it is a little hypocritical to 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 have Trump go pummel these job creators in the interest of the everyman. Right now, you you so there's that, but that's also just going to be very tough to do. And, and and most people think impossible to do. Yeah. And which brings to another aspect of uh, brings me to another aspects of what Trump has been promising, which is some sort of an infrastructure plan. And now you get into almost a democratic type of policy where you kind of government investment ramping ramping up government investment in a certain sector. Right. And that would bring jobs. That mean infrastructure, an infrastructure bill, build, build, rebuilding the roads, rebuilding the re, rebuilding rail, rebuilding a lot of the the grossly outdated American infra- infrastructure that's been countless news you know media coverage journalism right. about this yeah would drive jobs back but that is it's unbelievable it's a one trillion dollar yeah it's trillion with a t mm-hmm. infrastructure plan and and that's a big spending plan yeah, it is. and i think republicans in congress are going to have kind of a kind of a, 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 a just a come to jesus moment kind of like okay what do we do we are we don't like government spending, right? We want to limit the amount of spending as as a federal government. That's what the, that's what Republicans love. But you have a candidate now president elect who's proposing a 1 trillion dollar spending bill on infrastructure and he's railing against infrastructure, no pun intended. Railways, roads, bridges, LaGuardia Airport for some reason. He talks about that the one specific airport which I think you would agree is pretty shitty. But every Everything he talks about is spending, 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 and that is not what Republicans like to do at no, all. No, it certainly is not good for the debt, which, which no. you know, has has been this kind of boogeyman for for in terms of the Tea Party, especially, but early Republicans at large for a long time. Especially when it's going to be combined with with a bunch of tax cuts, largely for right. for the wealthiest. I mean, uh, theoretically across the board, but I mean, there's a little bit of a Something's got to give here. I mean, the, the whole idea there is that we're going to generate – the economy is going to soar so much because of the tax cuts that it will somehow make up for the spending. 
pretty much every economist that's looked into that has said that that math does not really work. Right. Um, and there's also just means something's got to give. You can't be pu- how are you going to be punishing all the job curators that you're talking about? You're going to be you're going to be putting all the, you're going to be putting tariffs on all these com- these giant companies that you're also going to be giving them tax breaks. Like it's just it's a lot of it's kind of a fantasy. I don't know which parts of it. I mean, part part of the thing with Trump is he made promises so much and he speaks so broadly in terms of policy and and it's hard to know it's hard to know exactly he's going to do so it's hard to know, to fact check the 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 you know what's actually possible what's actually what's what's on the table just it's it's hard to actually say this will work this won't work but my greater point is that it is i think an obligation of trump supporters to go well he promised to improve the job situation in my town in my county in my state and how is he doing that and tax breaks on the wealthy is in all likelihood not going to do that and if it does great but you have to be paying attention to that you have to be right you have to be following that. So I, I think, you know, we talk. You know, we're talking a lot about obviously what uh, what Trump voters have to do civically, and I think now we have to kind of touch on the left. Do we now? I think we do. We got a lot more right to talk about. I think we got a lot more right to talk about as well. But I think it's. I think we have to give. You know, we have to dive a little bit into what the left needs to do. I think that we can't leave the right until we talk about the obligation of how to process the protest from the left. I think that's an important okay. aspect of, of, I think, what the right has to do. Okay, so we'll go into protest. I was, I was going to go into protest a little bit later, but we can, mm-hmm. we, can go, we can do protest now, and we'll talk a little bit about kind of all of these, you know, obviously, hopefully you guys out there are paying attention to all these protests that are springing up across the country. Uh, big cities... New York, in, in particular, where we where we live, uh, protests in Union Square and, and all of these places, protest in, in all of these major cities across the country. Where is that coming from? Obviously, it's in reaction to the election. Uh, they're protesting a lot. They're just walking around and, 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 and holding up signs and saying Trump's not my president and things like that. That's what's happening uh, as far as I'll give you a little news bulletin there. That's what's happening. Um, so let's talk about that. I'll let you start. Well, what I think what I think is important. Okay, so let's. You, you mentioned the protests; they've been largely peaceful, and I want to I want to get get it out of the way right now. It's it's equally unfair to look to to find some isolated news incident of the protest getting violent. It's easily it's it's equally unfair to 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 write off the entire protests as thugs and and you know vandals and lawlessness. That is equally as unfair as it is to say every Trump voter is a racist. Right, and no, I agree with that. I agree and with so, that. So you know, that that should be that should be a that should be a no no from for anyone on the right. Right. It should. It is also this idea that they that these thousands and thousands and thousands of protesters are all paid is absurd. It's absurd. Yeah. The professional protesting thing, I don't, I don't understand that argument. I think it just plays well in in, in conservative circles. I, I think that's and, and it just it's wrong. Like, I, yeah, I want to be unbiased about that. I want to see both sides, but there's just no. There is zero factual evidence about that, and, and and honestly, like people think about the logistics of something like that. We can't keep campaign emails secret. You think that these people? You think that tens of thousands of young, <laughs> minor, diverse minority protesters have all been secretly somehow paid money from where to do this? Uh, to what end? Like that's it's just logistically an right. absurdity. Right. So let's not delegitimize the protest in that way, especially for a, a side of the aisle that's 
that expressed so much rage about Obama's presidency. It is so unfair to ask people to a candidate that you know in Wisconsin had was sixty percent of the people said they didn't like, and they still voted him for president. You're talking about an unpopular controversial guy one of the things you love about him is he's controversial and he pisses people off so you know suck it up when people actually get pissed off that's part of what you bought and that's only natural it gets to be expected and you've got to tolerate that now but the other side of that is this whole thing when trump was campaigning and 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 he said if if hillary won that you know it better go to the streets and stuff like that and yes i agree egging your supporters on to cause you know, mm-hmm. disruption, obviously not the way to go. But what would be the reaction from the left if Trump supporters were out protesting a Hillary Clinton presidency? Do you think that it would be that much of a uh, – do you think it would be fine? Do you think it would be – you know what I mean? Or would it be pretty bad? Or people would people would go crazy against the Trump supporters? I think so. I, I think there's a little bit of hypocrisy there where they are, you know, obviously – protesting for what they believe in okay i understand that but if donald trump supporters did that if hillary clinton won i think the left would go bananas would they would go absolutely bananas for i think i think you're right but i don't think because they would delegitimize her as a as a female candidate or as as a democratic candidate they would they would say that oh the reason why you're protesting is because you are you are just so anti you are sexist you are racist you are you know what I mean you're there's deplorable. no question people would say that and they'd be wrong to do so what I don't think would happen is I don't think Hillary Clinton would tweet that these protesters are largely paid and I don't think she would tweet that these protesters are just being disrespectful I I, I you know I, I agree I, with that and, and Trump eventually said that it was a show of you know democracy or whatever on the same he, he, day right i mean it yeah. was much written about we we definitely don't well i don't think hillary's that, allowed but... to have a phone anymore well <laughs> <that> <laughs> sorry I, I had to but, i had to that was the, the point <laughs> remains that the 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 delegitimization of the protests from the leaders of the republicans right now is 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 very unfair and i, that, I, I think that yeah. trickles down i agree with that and if you're on the right and you're looking at these protests with disgust First, first of all, one thing I'd like to say is I don't know if people would be on the streets if Hillary Clinton won. I think that I saw a Bill O'Reilly video, right, a couple days ago, where he's basically talking about how it's unfair to be calling Trump, like saying he's excluding groups and how he's not inclusive and how he's not he's and people and, and you know not fair to be worried that he's not going to be president for everybody. And he's he basically went on this point by point rant of how Obama has been not inclusive two groups you know throughout his presidency and the examples he kept listing were you know obamacare some people hated obamacare he wasn't that wasn't inclusive to people that liked obamacare so and and, and all these legislative examples where it's like that's not inclusive or exclusive inclusive exclusive is not when you're talking about being a president for all people no one's saying we want a president that's going to do that we're going to agree with everything they say but we want to believe that the president has the best interests of everybody in mind even if you don't you don't agree with how they're going about that i don't think that if you're a person that he's threatened to deport if you're a person who he's threatened to bar your family members from ever entering the country if you're muslim that there is no there's no way that's in your they're in your best interests you can you can argue that obamacare is not in your best interest but there is an argument that obamacare isn't i can i can argue how the how 
you know, we can have an argument. You can go, poor people are going to suffer Obamacare. Their premiums are going to go up. And I'm going to go, no, poor people are going to be better off about Obamacare because they're actually going to get health care that's where, where otherwise they couldn't right. afford any sort of plan. And you can think I'm wrong, but there's no question that my goal is to make the person's life better. Right. Now, yeah. there, is, there, there is no – that doesn't play when you're talking about a, a Muslim ban, for example. You can say it's needed to keep people safe. Well, who? Non-Muslims safe because if we're banning Muslim, it's not about Muslim. Well, and how does that help Muslim Americans? Well, it doesn't really help Muslim right, Americans. Right. So that that that's a false equivalency. And and I'm and I'm not saying that and I don't mean to say that any single proposal of Donald Trump is wrong or right. But when you're dealing in the kinds of things he said and and these and these immigration the way the way he has talked about immigration the way he's talked about terrorism the way he has talked about law and order in the inner cities it's not the same thing as having a disagreement about insurance reform or gun rights that that the policy has no racial bearing right so my, my point is my greater point is that these are legitimate fears from these people a hundred percent you yeah. and you might think that they don't have anything to fear but they're afraid the beginning and end of their fear is just about what he's promised to do I am an immigrant who, under Trump's plan, was theoretically at risk for deportation. I am a Muslim who, in, under Trump's plan, is theoretically my parents wouldn't be allowed to come visit me in this country. Or maybe I'm not a full citizen and I would not be allowed. I, would, I could never leave and come yeah. back. I can never go visit my parents and come back. Or, you know, I'm, I'm a black American and I spent the last three years feeling that my biggest issue that I've, I've had prioritized is, is, is police reform and and mass incarceration and reform of the justice system to to be more fair and my the candidate is talking about bringing back stop and frisk and, and the answer is right. more law and order not not more not 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 a finer point but a right. broader sword and that they did disagree with what he wants to do now i think to, to your point i don't like the not my president tag on it i don't like the delegitimate delegitimizing the fact that he's going to be the president but i have no problem with people standing out there and going you what you have said threatens my standing in this country i mean say all you want about obamacare and the tyranny of of the tyranny of universal background checks there is nothing obama ever proposed that threatened the legal status of any citizen in this country right and i i agree with all those points about about the protesting and 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 they're legitimate and i mentioned it in my in the beginning there you know there are fears and anxieties of all those groups of all those minority groups that are not white voters right and there are fear and and, and it's and you can sense it on social media you can sense it in 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 people's voices in interviews on, on local news broadcasts they go to all these local communities and they talk about it so there are fears and there are anxieties that are there and it's and it's pal- like i said it is palpable but and this is what i always ask when there are protests standing outside doing your thing right protesting an election some saying not my president what is the end goal is the end goal to get trump to listen to you is the end goal to enact legislation that could counter counterbalance what trump is trying to do because right now he's the president Okay, we have a Republican House, we have a Republican Senate, and and in a in probably about a month after he takes office, we'll have a Republican Supreme Court. So where do you go from here? Do you work to have him impeached? Do you work 
to elect local lawmakers in two years that will be in your interest and that will continue to fight against Trump at every turn. Like Bernie said, if he goes after minorities, if he goes after uh, after any any group that, that feels disenfranchised, Bernie will be fighting. So what what are the next steps? That's what I want to you know, that's what I want to examine with these protests. I don't doubt the legitimacy of their concerns and the legitimacy of their fears, but I doubt their 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 goals of what they want to do and what they want to accomplish. Some of them might have those goals. Some of them might have those legislative promises or legislative dreams, right? And they're trying to work at that. Fantastic. But what does standing outside with a sign that with a, with a Trump sign with an X on it or a, a sign that says "Not my president," or a sign that says "says you know fuck Donald Trump," uh, you know what does that accomplish? I think the the answer to your question, "What do you do?" is all of the above, and I think that protests are protests at this stage are not the most productive means in a sense, in that it's not going to tangibly there's not much tangible that's going to come out of a protest. It raises right? awareness, but. Is also nothing tangible currently that's coming out of the Donald Trump presidency. Is the president elect, and he's not the president until January thirtieth, and until the real, until the, you know, it's hard for everyone to say go home and relax until, until January, until late January. So I think that there is some utility in going. You still said everything you said, and now you're our president, and now we are. This, now we are not your opposition. Now we are your see. I, that, and that's where I disagree with the tone of the presidency, the tone of the protest when it's about not my president, and then with this kind of fantasy, like you're just going to stay out there until he's not the president. I, I don't. I don't really understand where you're coming from there. If the goal is to just say the kind of we're still here angle, the whole you know what you you know a, a big. I've heard a lot on the from the right. This almost kind of like he, there's just a lot of things he just said kind of kind of justification of, of a lot of his more controversial policies like it's like it's all talk and that's that's easy to say if you're if you're a white male in this country you can just say ah, he's probably not going to do all those things but you know i want i just i just i would imagine many trump supporters are gun supporters gun rights supporters yeah and obama never promised to do a single obama never once in his entire presidency said he planned on getting rid of any any weapons it was only all we ever talked about was background checks all we ever talked about was regulation it was never about banning a thing yet there was there are whole radio shows and podcasts and political organizations and movements about in them, their gun rights being infringed, and this is and, and yeah, you have a president elect who has literally promised to remove certain people from this country, to ban certain people from this country, to kind of strip away about certain rights in terms of abortion. He has a vice president who has actively sought to restrict LGBT rights, and even if you agree with any of that, the fact is that these people have been directly threatened for lack of a better word or a more gentle word. And I don't think there's anything wrong with going, well, until we know that those were just words, uh, we're going to take you at your word and we're not happy about it. No, and yeah. he has never come out and said, oh, those are just words or, you know what? No, we lo- we do love our Mexican-Americans. We do love our Muslim-Americans. Right. He's never said that. Yeah. So, you know, if Obama had come out and gone, you know what? I think we should get rid of all the guns. And then never mentioned it again, the right would be apoplectic. So 
Yeah. It's I think it's very unfair. Well, I don't think that the protests are the most productive thing that people could be doing to to counteract Trump. I also think it is very unfair to 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 be like what what are you so angry about? Give him a chance. I mean, you you have to some extent I mean, didn't you vote for him because you think that he's going to do some of the things he said he was going to do? You if the if the if these people are scared that he's going to do some of the things that he said he was going to do. No, and 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 like I said before, I'm not delegitimizing the these the fears, the anxieties, and and all that stuff. And they have every right to feel that way about this guy because of what he said. Mm-hmm. And that's where that whole like, do you have empathy for Trump supporters because you know that they did support this guy who said some things that that either can be perceived as racist, as sexist, as uh you know homo as homophobic, xenophobic, you know all of the above. How can we empathize with those people when, yeah, oh, I voted for him because he's going to bring back jobs, mm-hmm. but then, oh, wait a second, he also said this right. about this group. So I, I understand that sense, and I understand no. the whole Pence sphere as well, because that's the other thing. Side note, we'll go a little side note here. Uh, people want to impeach Trump. I, I don't think they want to do that. Well, we don't know. Well, I I, I mean, because Pence is pretty is is, yeah, is yeah, there's, there's, tactical. There's quite and, a few you know. issues where he's he's uh, stricter and more sinister in his ways of going about what he wants to do. And he's a little better politician than Trump, I think. Right, a little bit. But anyways, so, back to the point um, at hand. Right. So I mean, empathy is exactly what I'm talking about. I I, I think we're we're you know we'll we'll get into that in just a minute here about how the left needs to kind of have a little bit more of a empathetic view about how we handle how they handle and communicate with the right going forward i perceiving that conversation happening personally at least at least in my own bubble i don't know about you but i'm seeing a lot of effort to go all right what the hell did we miss why are these people so anti our message and and why did we so fail to connect with such a large portion of america i'm seeing that conversation happen what I'm seeing on the right is a lot of we won. This is the new world order. Nothing will ever change again, and <laughs> everybody needs to just shut up and accept it. <laughs> and uh, that, yeah, that's not no. true. This is right. this this is the same. This is the same America that elected Obama twice. This is a the same America. This is an America that I just read in a, in a Dave Eggers piece in the Guardian in Wisconsin. In 2012, 50,000 people cast a vote where they didn't fill in the presidential part of the ticket, right? They just, they, oh, they for whatever reasons, right. are so disgusted, they didn't vote for Romney, they didn't vote for Obama, they voted down ballot, okay? 50,000. 112,000 people did the same this year. More than double. Hillary Clinton lost Wisconsin by 13,000 votes. So, you talk about turnout, How look how much room there was for the, the result to go the other way with the people that already turned out that should stick in the gut of both the right and the left because the right right that thinks that we showed you and now we'll have our trump america and we'll take back our country well you again you didn't even win the popular but like you just won this thing there's no mandate and and your plan currently is to strip 20 million people of their health care and you know, there's a lot of things that are going to cause a backlash. Well, well, whether they're right or wrong, the political reality is they're going to cause a backlash. All I'm trying to say is this: we have not hit this point where we are on this irreversible Trump America course. And right. the left should also take that statistical reality and go, you know, this like part of this was our candidate, part of this was our campaign, like this, this. That's a damning. That's a damning statistic for Hillary Clinton. It is, and I think it shows 
the lack of enthusiasm behind her. Mm. I think you know, you know, when you look at Bernie Sanders and you look at the rallies that he had, and you look at the the thousands, tens of thousands of people that showed up to his rallies in in all of these cities, and you kind of look at the Hillary Clinton rallies and the big ones, you know, maybe twenty thousand. That was like the biggest. Yeah. And and you have like these crowds of like a thousand. And yes, I, I know I sound like Donald Trump in that sense. Like, oh, my crowds are the biggest crowds, the best crowds. Believe me. But it it, it is telling because now that we see that Donald Trump won, the the enthusiasm that was behind his campaign, and even the one, and even Bernie's campaign. And then now you can look at like the DNC and and their role in kind of yeah. you know blocking Bernie a little bit. You can see the enthusiasm that was lacking with a Hillary Clinton campaign and her as a as a candidate because she had that 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 aura of of she's only out there for for power and political prestige but then also and i will say this all the time i had this conversation with my aunt there is that level of sexism as well in there and that is that is cut deep in this in the fabric so there's there's a two sides of, of that of that story but again enthusiasm 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 is not there for hillary clinton like it was for bernie or Trump. I got myself a little bit off topic, so yeah, I brought up the Wisconsin to, to, to make a point about the, the just the kind of the protests and, and, and the empathy required in that, which right. is I am seeing a, a pretty large effort so far. It will, and it, it, it's on the left to sustain it. It's one of the point. One point I wanted to make later is like you don't get to just empathize for three months and then get tired of reading articles and then. And go, oh, fuck it, those people are stupid again. You know, like right. it's 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 got to be a sustained process. But right. I am seeing that effort so far. On the right, I'm not, despite the fact that you know the gap goes both ways. When you're not hearing each other, it goes both ways. And yeah. again, you're you're a, you're a hair from it going the other way. And if they don't real, if the right doesn't realize that, the election will go. Elections will go other way. Right. As as many pundits have pointed out. When Bush had the House and the Senate, people thought Republicans had <laughs> taken over forever. Right. When Obama eventually, then then Obama won, then or you know, then, or first I think they lost the Senate, but then Obama won, and then Obama took both houses, and people thought the Republicans have died, and then two years later the Tea Party happened. Right. So you know, don't get too comfortable. So in that, there's an empathy required from the right as well, which is you know, you thought you were the silent majority. Well, you've spoken now, and now we all have yeah. to listen to you in the form of the candidate that you have delivered right. to the White House. And we saw the rallies. You know, we're writing the op-eds, we're doing the analyzing. You're being heard. We're not like. I mean, the left right. is not liking everything they're hearing, but you're being heard. You're no longer the silent majority. You are the majority. The the ob- there is an obligation on there is an equal obligation on the right to go. Man, if ten thousand people are marching every night in tears that this man is the presidency. Maybe they're wrong and maybe they maybe they're misinformed, but like maybe I should try to figure out what they're so scared about and have a conversation with them about it. And that's exactly what I mean that's, you know, as long as I am willing as a member of of, of the I'm not even, I'm, I'm going to say as a member of the left, as long as I am willing to go home at Thanksgiving to talk to my my dad and talk to my brothers and 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 just have a dialogue. And I already have had that dialogue on the phone with them. And, and as long as I'm willing to do that, I think they need to acknowledge that these – and I agree with you – that these protesters have fears, they have anxieties, and they have to address them. They have to have that empathy. As long as we have empathy for them and their concerns, they have empathy for those people that are protesting out there. I and think so, that's a main, main point that we and have that, to And so that, so that I want 
off that, I have one final point to make that's right-centric before we are kind of long overdue now to talk a little about the left. But I do believe that the majority of Trump supporters are not racists. I think that, but, but I, I think that they did ignore a lot of racially charged proposals, yep. threats, and language from Trump. Yes. And that's their right to do that. so. Yeah. You can't really in all good I mean ideally we're all always thinking of others but if you if you are a out of work struggling have been struggling for a while midwestern rural white man it is a very abstract thing to ask you to prioritize just other issues that you don't confront in your daily life over the first person the first politician for lack of a better word right. that has come along in a long time and gone your issues are real and I'm going to solve them who that's, actually came to your town. Right. I right. mean, it, it, that's 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 enticing, rightly so. Yeah. And I don't think that comes out of hatred for another race or another gender or another yeah. sexuality or anything. But, so okay, you elected this candidate, you elected him for economic reasons, you didn't elect him for some of the racially questionable, uh, LGBT questionable, you know, Islamophobe questionable reasons that... Right. Okay, fine. But then... You owe it. You owe it to the country to be opposed to those to to those proposals. Should they should they materialize? Right. You you don't get to go. Yeah, Muslim registries aren't great, but man, I do like my tax break. Like it's fine that you voted for the tax break, but you have a moral obligation to be opposed to something like right. that, and not just in inside quietly. Right. If that if that if that if stuff like that starts to happen, if you know, if we're deporting children who are born in this country and by the same rules and with by which Ted Cruz is an American are Americans because we're keeping the families together, yet still deporting everybody, you have a moral obligation to be opposed to that. And yeah. that doesn't have to conflict with the reasons that you voted for Trump. There are plenty of liberals who have been I I I I part of the dissatisfaction with Clinton is her hawkishness, which is against the liberal um kind of the more progressive wing of the liberals of the liberal mindsets kind of just just agenda which is kind of this you know kind of the peace and love hippie thing right i mean hillary clinton i I mean i have friends that just would refuse to vote for hillary clinton because of her her kind of foreign policy track record and a kind of penchant for yeah for intervention and you know you don't have to but but they they mean they weren't for trump like you don't you can go you know i want it i want trump's economy but I, but you can actively oppose potential racial injustices that come right. as a result of either him or the people we surrounded him with, or other branches of the right. Right. And you know, if you truly, if you truly were not enticed by any of the kind of racially divisive rhetoric that he threw out, then you should be on the battle lines. Should 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 you be called upon to be, right. and not justify justify some of these policies away or normalize them right. you know if if crudely you know if all the muslims are in the street going shit's bad you don't get to tell them no this is good for you don't worry trust trust us he's he's right. protecting you so i i just i just want to i just think that that's important all right so i think now uh you know as as briefly as we can talk about the left yeah. and I, I think it's it's just as important as the right um, and what they have to do because obviously the left lost. Yeah. And I think, you know, my main point is that I, I'm not going to put the, all the blame on Hillary Clinton. I'm not going to put the blame on the Democratic message because I, I agree with most of the Democratic platform, mm-hmm. right? I'm a Democrat. 
I just want to make that clear. Um, but I feel as if the Democrats kind of gave up a big chance at, at winning by shoving a candidate like Bernie aside. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they misread where the American people were. I think they misread them. And I think, uh, you know, obviously they need to start reexamining where they are as a party. Do they go for the more progressive wing, the Elizabeth Warrens, the Bernie Sanders, and, and the young people that are kind of coming up with them? Or do they continue to go to the center, kind of moderate Democrat, you know, centrist person that Hillary Clinton was? Mm-hmm. Where do you go from here if you're a Democrat or or a uh, or a liberal? Where do you go from here? Well, I mean, I don't think we can tell anybody where to go. I mean, if you, there, it's it'd be a totally it's totally legitimate worldview to be more to be for the global economy, to be for very moderate economic policy, to be more Clinton than Sanders is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Someone has every right to feel that way. Right. But I, I, I would note that the de- a lot of the questions, obviously not not within the debates, not, in, not within the candidates themselves, but a lot of the conversations that I seem to be having with my left-leaning friends talking about who they were going to vote in the primary was not who whose policies they like more. It was is Sanders was what Sanders wants to do realistic, mm-hmm. and can Sanders can Sanders actually win? Can the socialist win? Right. right. I mean, so it, it felt I don't have scientific polling to back this up handy, but it felt as if reluctant because let's not forget Clinton won, and the and the DNC may have pushed their finger on on in certain ways as far as debate scheduling and everything like that. But at the end of the yeah. day, I don't believe the DNC got rid of votes. And, no, and Clinton no, won. No. And I think that a lot of the holdups for people that may have been willing to vote for Sanders was this idea that we got to vote for Clinton because Sanders won't beat Trump. And then you look at why Trump beat Clinton, and you kind of hone in on the whole Rust Belt, white working class political revolt. And you go, man, Sanders is anti-trade, deliver, some, deliver an economy for the working class, deliver jobs, kind of racially unifying message because that's the thing is this it, it seems like that message would have played to the people that gave trump the presidency over clinton you, yeah. hindsight's twenty twenty, and you can never say that definitively and you can never know how sanders would have responded to four months of direct oppositional attack right yeah but it does seem in, in a sense that his message would have at least turned and when, when you talk about like i said thirteen thousand votes in wisconsin it does seem like his message might have been one that that swayed that swayed Trump. Right. Some of the, some of these people into because you know my my dad is a very liberal guy, uh, socially, and was very very much very into Sanders over over Clinton. But, but being Sanders and it's typified by my dad who is, uh, you know, blue collar blue collar guy is a mailman, um, has, has been for 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 you know, two decades. Um, he's. In some ways, when I talk to him, it's like half of a Trump supporter. Like his distaste for Clinton was this this distaste for the establishment and this distaste for politics as usual and maybe too incremental change and this this idea that we do want to stick it to him and we do want to make you know they they don't just get to cater to the banks and the wealthy and and right you know that is all boiling inside of him and just because I think where 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 I'm from demographically 
maybe the fact that my dad's a government employee, so and the, you know the post office, despite some of the broader financial problems of the post office, my dad, who's been there a long time, has a lot of seniority. His job isn't a question. He's not an independent manufacturing kind of blue-collar worker that may have lost his job. For a variety of reasons, I just think that the, his rage does not outweigh the sense of decency about what Trump was proposing and, and, right. and just kind of his compassion for minorities who we live in an area where there is some diversity. My dad has many black friends, many Hispanic friends, many, you know, I think he was just, there's just enough ways in which he could never vote for a Trump. Right. But that's even within my liberal father, those those elements are, are in there boiling, right? right? So you go to my father in Missouri, who maybe doesn't have a black person in the neighborhood, maybe has never met an actual Latino immigrant, other than maybe seeing some guy mowing the lawn or something like right, that. Right. You know, some person who doesn't have any day-to-day interactions with Muslims at all, maybe never has. Their only interactions with Muslims are seeing the face of the guy in the most recent terrorist attack. Ice, you know, terrorist attack. Whether it be, right. an whether whether it be a lone gunman sympathizer that's an American citizen or an actual recruited jihadist, if you will. Right. Right. So, and maybe he isn't a government employee, and his job hasn't been safe, and he lost his job at some auto plant, and you know, you you just push some of those factors another way, and it just becomes easier and easier and easier to deprioritize the threats to minorities for to to, right. to to very crudely just lop that all into one and there is phrase. there in lies your trump voter the point being the majority are not racist we have seen evidence that there clearly there are plenty of trump voters that do just get off on this kind of white nationalist rhetoric rhetoric right. and there's no question that that exists and there's no question that those people are now that have you know are, are kind of riding high, and there's been this there's been this FBI this F, the, this FBI that I don't think it anymore could be accused of being anti-Trump um, by FBI statistics a surge in hate crimes something that I think the right needs to acknowledge and not act like that's political correctness right yeah I agree with that but they're not all racist no and and to go back to Sanders his argument he, there was always this you know he talked a lot about Martin Luther King and how Martin Luther King was killed at the, at that point what he was pushing for was with an economic agenda not voting rights not not you know the civil rights bill had been passed the voting rights act had been passed what he was what his his concerns became economic became working class concerns that really didn't have color lines my point being i think there's this, there's this, I think this very understandable frustration for a lot of people on the left now, especially not whites. I think a lot of us, I think a lot of white liberals like you and I, are going through this. Man, we got to figure out how to appeal to the white working class again because they just ripped an election away from from us and gave it to a, a kind of a uniquely unqualified and un, and ill-tempered demagogue, right? That's kind of the perspective, and it's easy for white males to do that because they're kind of civil liberties have not really been called into question by this election. But I see, whether it be in op-eds or just in, in my friends, this this thing from the from my minority friends or my LGBT friends, and in a lot of cases my just my women, you know, my female friends, that are just like, fuck you, you cannot expect us to just like shelve all the concerns we've been fighting for for decades, all of this systemic discrimination. And then the pro and and the, and, and, what, and ask us right now to be more concerned with what the white man's problems are. Like right. I totally understand that. No, I but get my that point as well. is, 
when you're talking about working class economics, that should theoretically cross all color boundaries. That they should be able to coexist. We should be able to not forsake wanting to pro- like wanting to keep moving in a progressive, positive direction on all of those right. are in all of those issues, on all of those civil liberty issues, on all of those issues of trying to achieve true equality. That does not have to. I think I don't think that has to to conflict with a more populist economic message, with a, a kind of an economy that that shifts more towards the middle class and away from the elites. I think that's what Sanders is selling. Right. I, I think I think what also you know obviously we cannot ask them to shelve that right and I and I completely agree with that, but I also think that we need to you know acknowledge that we're not going to just ask you to shelve it we're going to ask you to use it, and we're going to ask you to to not only obviously lump together all of those you know that 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 working class where it doesn't cross color lines, mm-hmm. we're going to ask you to for the next two years. 2020 or or uh, 2018 to 2020 fight fight for those things challenge the Trump administration challenge your local congressmen your local representatives your local state senators do that get involved we talk about the voting we talked about voting in our first podcast in our first episode that is essentially what people have to do now that's what the left has to do that's what the right has to do if the right really wants to finally get that mandate because Chuck Schumer, as he said, this is not a mandate for Trump. Mm-hmm. If they want to get that mandate in 2020 or 2018, if they want to keep their majorities, or if the Democrats want to take back the Senate and the House in 2018, kind of have like a Tea Party on the left mm-hmm. thing going on, or take back the White House in four years, they're going to have to start to work, become civically engaged, fight for the issues that you can fight for, work with Trump in certain areas, Bernie has said, if if Trump is willing to take on the the corporate interests, if if Trump is willing to to, to talk about trade in a, in a productive way, uh, he has an ally, mm-hmm. and that's what I think needs to happen. And I want to point out one thing that I that I talked about before we went before we went on the air is about how uh, you know when when Obama got into office, there was this sense of obstruction, and and of uh, you know and and even when he was being when he was running for reelection in 2012, Mitch McConnell. The, the the top political priority for Republicans in Congress was to deny President Obama a second term. He said that clear as day in an interview. That cannot be. The Democrats cannot sink to that level. What they have to do is, like I just said, work with them when they can work with them, fight them when they can fight them, and then win in two or two years or four years. That's well, what needs. That's I what do. Needs to I do really fear this 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 kind of situation where the things that 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 a Trump administration proposes or the things that a that a a fully Republican, top to bottom legislative branch proposes. I just don't know what they're going to prioritize. If they prioritize an infrastructure bill, I think you're absolutely right. It'd be a mistake on the left to, to not to not work with him to make that the best it can be, because that can help people of all of, of all colors, of all creeds, of all income, you know, of any socioeconomic socioeconomic status. At the same time, if the priority becomes deportation, if the priority becomes curbing curbing kind of just the civil liberties of muslims in this country there's no compromise to be made there no and i i worry that that's going to be seen from the right as this just like you know well we obstructed your health care bill and you obstructed our muslim bill and, and again like i said earlier i i don't think that's fair to equate those kind of two issues where you're talking about the actual legal status of a human being and your health care premiums obviously those kind Healthcare premiums are important. Every economic thing is important. We all, we're all trying to get by at the end of the day. Right. We're all kind of voting first and foremost for in our own interests, and it's a, it's a privilege in some sense to 
to to have to be able to be so concerned with others right and i, I think that's a part of what's going on in, in the kind of the rust belt in the midwest is this 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 economic destitution to the point where there's there's really no concern for for others but but so i, I mean i think you might have to pick and choose on that front of course but that, that brings me to another point about which is like about how, about how the left needs to act is i do think there needs to be this shift i read a, i read a new york times article about why identity politics needs to be is dead and, and why the left needs to abandon it and i thought it was a little bit reductive and kind of and it was written by a white man and it just nothing about it seemed very it just was a little bit gross and, and it was uh and it's but i think that there is there is something in that that i don't think identity politics needs to be thrown away because i do i think it's important this kind of surge in affirmative identity and and and, and confidence and and like just a demand for equality coming from various previously disenfranchised groups in this country. And I, I think it's a mistake to go, yeah, you guys got to chill with that. But within that, there is a way we talk about it. There's a way we communicate with each other and, and fight that cultural bat war that gets into what, you know, what we would call political correctness, where within that, I think there needs to be a little bit more judgment in the battles we fight with that because like I said, you go to this, you go to this, this Rust Belt version of my dad who has really no contact with minorities and is voting out of this economic anxiety about his his own life, right? And he probably makes some kind of silly and sensitive comments every once in a while. He doesn't mean anything by him. He's probably trying to make his coworker laugh. You know what I mean? Like, and 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 that plays itself out on Twitter where these people people are trying to make a joke or whatever, and they they stereotype or they're trying to make they use a word and they shouldn't have used a word and we have a tendency culturally right now to jump down those people's throats and and it's not wrong to be disgusted by the by the sentiment of a joke like that or racially insensitive insensitive remark or a sexist remark if i wasn't a white male i'm not a very patient person like i i i would be i'd be pretty enraged myself it kind of goes back to a theme i think we're touching on a lot here is you know productive productivity versus kind of being right. right and i think a lot of times you can tell when the intent is to be putting down a minority and then when the, and when the when the intent is is when, when there's not an intent when it's just kind of ignorance right and i think when we when we when we confront ignorance we have to kind of we we need to just in general have a more of a tendency to engage instead of to shame yeah because i think that part of the reason why this trump voter Empathy goes both ways, and yeah, and if you acknowledge that racism, sexism, Islamophobia is a product of it's it's cultural, it's systemic, it's kind of ingrained in all of us. Well, then you can't expect people to turn it off overnight. And the thing is, I I fear, and this I you know I always feel uncomfortable saying this as a white male, but I just think it's true in terms of how people think. I mean, when you call someone racist, that's it. That's the end of the conversation. That, yeah. that is never the beginning of a conversation. Um, I'm not saying some. I'm not saying people shouldn't be called racist when they're when they're when they're, when when it's clear that they're when it's clear that they are. Right. But you know, in this every every joke, every kind of not perfectly well well spoken remark or or, or sensitively uh, framed quote, right. whether it be celebrities or elite, you know, we we just kind of we attack them, we shame them, we push them away, and we say you are not acceptable. And, and, and there's no speci- there's no speci- there's no specificity to it. There's no there's no what you said is not okay because of this and this and this. There's right. this. There's you, no dialogue. You you are this, right. and that is not acceptable. And when we do that to conservative celebrity X, 
all there's a ripple effect to all of the you know regular joes that are a fan of conservative celebrity x and they right. go you know that's a joke i would make to my to my friend right and instead of instead of there being a dialogue where you go where you you're kind of engaging and going you know this kind of it's not okay when you say this because for me that means this and don't i mean it's it's you're a racist and that person goes you think he's a racist i like i i'm kind of like that so you're calling me a racist right and that's pushing me away and now i don't really want to hear you and now and then you end up in this boy cried wolf situation where when you jump down every single instance of insensitive language of of whatever that when 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 trump actually says yeah i'm gonna get rid of all the muslims the outrage is just perceived as more political correctness instead of you know oh well pre, instead of what it should be which is you know well well we, we, we you know you know how we were having that conversation about like oh that was kind of not okay for you to say well like this is a direct threat and this is not okay at all and i reject and and it, you know there's no force to that right because it's just to these people where i think racism and sexism is such an abstract concept so foreign to them it's not something they have to deal with it just gets all locked into the same thing because they see you attacking some comedian on Twitter as the same thing as you attacking this as as the as the president elect of the United States right. or this and it's and it's you're telling me how to think you're you're policing every thought that comes out of my head and yeah and every word that comes out of my mouth and there is no dialogue there's just the shame 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 and all of a sudden somebody stands up in front of the whole country and goes fuck you all I'm gonna say whatever I want, and they right. go, "Oh, I don't have to be, sh- I don't have to be shamed anymore." Yeah, and be- and there's no, there's nowhere, there's nowhere for them to run if they are feeling a little bit guilty about that because they're not getting empathy on the other side. They're getting, they're they're getting rejection, and they're getting shame, and they're getting condescension, and condescension, and they're getting. I feel shitty because it's a terrible thing to ask to ask disenfranchised people and groups that have been stereotyped probably every day of their lives and have had countless interactions where they're pushed into some cultural box because of the history of racism or sexism or Islamophobia in this country. It's it's a shitty thing to ask them to be the bigger person and to, right. and to be the first to extend the empathy. But I do believe that's how you change hearts and minds. Yeah, and I think I think somebody like, you know, obviously we're going to bring this home a little bit mm-hmm. right now, And but I think as somebody like, I'll give an example of like Van Jones. Yeah. Who's somebody who is, is willing to Van Jones for, for those of you who do not know, um, fantastic commentator on, on CNN, um, and he's done a lot of work with with um, civil rights in this country in terms of policing, mm-hmm. criminal justice reform, um, and and he's just a he's a, a very eloquent guy, and he is willing to go to that Trump supporter or that kind of a little bit you know further right than he is. Mm-hmm. He was a official in the, in the Obama White House. And he's willing to have that conversation. So I think that's – we need to take a playbook. We need to take a page out of that playbook and start talking to each other instead of yelling at each other. I think that's the big thing. Um, and I think just to bring it home, and, and I'll, let, I'll let you kind of have the last word, but just to bring it home on my end is that you know I think this whole entire episode was – you know the, we wanted to be civic responsibility in the age of Trump, right? In the age of President-elect Trump, soon to be President Trump. What do Democrats have to, uh, Democrats and liberals and progressives have to do moving forward? What do Republicans and Trump voters and non-establishment people have to do moving forward? And I think it's just everybody needs to have a postmortem. Everybody needs to realize what they have to do for themselves and for the other side and for their now president-elect. 
and for their Congress people and for their future Supreme Court justices mm-hmm. and everything. So I think that's the main point, civic responsibility. Uh, what do we do going forward? Again, empathy in politics. I'll say that again. That's going to be very, very big in this presidency is empathy on both sides. And I think that's what we have to do moving forward. Alex, last word. Yeah. So you know, I don't have anything. I don't have anything too too prepared to say here. Uh, I think I think we probably bit off more than we can chew in this episode. And I think we're still processing what we what we want to cover as a result of this very unexpected turnout. But um, I definitely, I mean, as we said, like, uh, empathy is always what we're trying to tie it back to. And I, and I think bridging. I, th- I think there's a lot of tangible policy stuff that we're all scared about and that we all want to take action about. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But but I think almost every issue comes back to this kind of communication divide that was that is I think so obvious now where I think that's what is essentially class and economic lines have almost been gerrymandered in all our heads to be racial lines and to be religious lines and to be sex and gender lines and um, you know I, I think as you said in the beginning I think there's a lot of common ground between between all of us and I think there's a lot of common interest between the majority of your Trump supporters and the majority of your working class liberals and middle class liberals. And I think that we all need to try to find that. And I think that we need to have the tough conversations to get us there. You think you look at how close this election is and it's daunting to think about how many, you know, how many racists there are in this country, how many sexists there are in this country. How can so many people support Trump? Well, you know, we all kind of know a Trump supporter, right? If, you know, speaking as a liberal, speaking to liberals, for, at least in this moment, but this really applies to both ways. I mean, I, I don't think anybody. I mean, uh, you get out to real rural America, it may, maybe not, but like for the majority of us know someone on the other side, this other side that we so desperately want to understand and don't right now. And I think it's daunting to think about how many of us there are that don't agree with us. But it was most it's about a, it's about as close to a fifty fifty split as you can get in this election in terms of. I mean, the divide is so clear, and if everyone. Whatever side you're on, if you if everyone on your side can had a conversation and convinced one person on the other side to see the world a little bit more your way, well then we'd all agree, and that's a little bit <laughs> that's a little bit pie in the sky. But my point is y- your individual part, because I know a lot of people are very stressed out. Like, what do I do? This is such a big problem, and how like how do, how do you are not going to convince a hundred thousand people that are that are blind to maybe it's racial reality of this country to suddenly see the light but maybe you can convince one and if we all kind of had that mindset or if you're on the right and you you have you have these economic concerns and you want you want people on the left to know that you are not racist and really there is there are some economic principles that we all can benefit from and if you could stop seeing if you could you know Maybe if you stopped playing the identity game so much, you'd kind of see there's some common ground here economically that we all, and we do need to shake up the political elite and the political establishment. It doesn't serve any of us, so get on board with that. And yeah, he's 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 unsavory, but he's going to shake things up. And we're, I mean, if you believe that, then you've got to curb your appeal to the other side too, and 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 address how that's going to actually tangibly benefit minorities and that's going to and, and working class minorities because let's never let's not forget that the majority of working class people in this country are not white despite how we keep talking about mm-hmm. in in this kind of elect, collective election post more and we keep talking about how uh the working class and most like the working classes are white people but that's that's not the case at all as as, our, as, as the boy bernie says right so 
those conversations are key. In the meantime, not talking about people, but talking about the actual politicians and the kind of scary things that Trump is, is proposing, if you want to fight that, donate some money to the ACLU, to the NAAC Legal Defense Fund, to, to, to groups that fight legally, to, you know, that fight legal battles on behalf of immigrants. On, group, on the Trevor Project and groups that defend LGBT rights. Put your money where your mouth is. Fund these groups because those are the institutions that when the other side controls everything are most important to hold to hold up those. The, the right has been masterful at it in chipping away at abortion and chipping away at a lot of these things is the nitty-gritty legal work in, in, all, in the state-by-state state enforcement. Um, so support those groups. Uh, volunteer. Be a boot on the ground. Help Go volunteer for Planned Parenthood. You know, the, the, those things matter. Those things in aggregate create a culture of awareness and a culture of, of activism and a culture of participation that I think that our democracy, frankly, and to be a little corny, just needs. Mm. Uh, I think disengagement has been a big enemy that's led us here. And, you know, all of us, stop sharing fake news. I, I, that's been a real popular thing that's been written about. It, it, it's both sides. Infowars is not real news. Breitbart's not real news. Red State's not real news. It's not just the right. There's a whole list here. Where do I have this list? And nonnews.co, The Blaze, Breitbart, Crooks and Liars, Daily Wire, Free Thought Project, Infowars, Independent Journal Review, Occupy Democrats. Uh, the list goes on. Predicting Info is another one. Um, here we go. Yeah, Bipartisan Report, Winning Democrats, Politics USA, Blue Nation Review, If You Only News, U.S. Uncut, The Free Thought, the Free Thought Project, Addicting Info, Liberal America, Newslow, Politicalo, Daily Newsman, American News X, Being a Liberal, The Other 98%. We are terribly misinformed on both sides. And read. Subscribe to a goddamn newspaper. <laughs> subscribe to a national newspaper. Subscribe to a local newspaper. Look at... All those links that you see in the articles, click into them and find out where the actual information is coming from. Stop trusting the headline of a Facebook share. We might have to start all boycotting Facebook if they don't kind of get on board with, with fixing some of their yeah. complicity into this. And yeah, call, call your representatives. Don't send an email. There's a whole article in uh, Vox, picked it up eventually, about an article by Trisha Tonko about how kind of compiling the tweets from a, a woman named Emily Ellsworth, who was apparently a congressional aide, who said that the only the only way a, con- Congress, a, con- a congressman actually like logs a, a complaint or an opinion or a thing is when you actually get through and call and you get on the line with them, a voicemail isn't enough. So there's been a lot of uh, volunteer sites and listservs and news lists kind of directing you who to call and about what issues. But, right. but pick up the phone and call. It's not that hard. Be active. You know, if you, if you have the time to read to hate read some sort of op-ed or hate watch some Fox News video or scroll through some comment section, you, you can spend five minutes and call a damn congressional representative. So there's a lot that you all can do no matter what side you're on. And you know when you think of it in the big picture, it's daunting. But there are a lot of little things all of us can do and chip away at both the divide between each other and just the divide between people and the establishment that I think at this point both sides feel. So, And I think the one thing that we can both agree on that people should do is listen to this podcast. Absolutely. I mean, I, that's what I would do. This is where you're going to get the truth. This is, this is <laughs> you know, this is the no-spin zone, if you will. Absolutely. Um, we are Isle Sides. You can get at us at islesides.gmail.com. 
Our website is islesides.simplecast.fm. We'd love your feedback. We'd love your critiques. We'd love your questions. We'd love whatever you have to say to us. Come, come say hi. And we'll, we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you so much, guys.